0: Those with a drive to go have an undeniable calling. They are not content to simply have a transformative idea. They want to create and build. They want to wrestle challenges to the ground and bring solutions to scale. They are makers and doers. They are go-getters. Go-getters features straight up conversations with leaders on the forefront of change who are taking action to impact our world, just as Lehigh people have done for more than 150 years. Join us as we explore their challenges, their passions, and what makes them go.
1: Welcome to Go-Getters. I'm Lehigh's President John Simon. My guest for this episode is James Maida. James is the founder, president, and CEO of Gaming Laboratories International. He graduated in 1985 with a degree in computer science and engineering and went off to earn his JD degree from Rutgers Law School. James is also a university trustee. Thank you for joining me today, James.
2: Great to be here, John.
1: Yeah, Maybe we should start with um, how'd you end up at Lehigh?
2: I, I think I was born into a Lehigh family. My dad was class of 57 and my mom and dad met here. And I really wound up here because even when I was less than seven or eight years of age, uh, I was going to all the EIWAs and the, and, the, and the nationals and I would see the Lieberman brothers wrestle and all of that history. And I think I attended 10 Lehigh Lafayette games before I was age 15. So it was just always part of our fabric. My older brother was here at the time. He was a sophomore when I, or junior when I got here as a freshman. And I think Lehigh just has always been in the Made of Family fabric.
1: So, how many Lehigh Lafayette games do you think you've been to now? I,
2: I, I don't want to say 50 because I might get some award, but I, I, I think that uh, I've probably been well over. 50. 50 or well over 40.
1: Do you have a winning record?
2: I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> I was at the coldest one the last year that it was at Taylor Stadium. That was, that was, a, that was a quite an interesting one.
1: So, so James, how does, uh, um, how does computer science and engineering uh, end up in law school? Well you know I, I always wanted to be a lawyer
2: and my dad gave me some great advice. He said you could be a lawyer Uh, But I want you to go to school and and learn a skill, a marketable skill. I don't want you just to go to college to say that you're going to go to law school. And I love computers. Computers were just coming of age in the early 1980s. Uh, I had taken some computer classes at at my high school. and uh, uh, just I started out as an electrical engineering degree and then I moved to computer engineering. And while I was here as a junior they started computer science in the engineering school and I switched my major a third time and I ended up with that and I, I think I was the first graduate of the computer science engineering program
1: in the the university. Oh, that's really cool. So the Gaming Laboratories International probably builds on the computer science side of your background, if I had to guess. So uh, where did that inspiration come from? Well, I would say that computer
2: science is very much like the law. People don't see that. But computer science, you're trying to solve problems and you get a whole bunch of facts and then you have to categorize them in a way that makes sense. To, to get the right answer when you're building a computer program in the law school you read lots of facts and there's really no right answer and and really the answer you could get any answer you want either right or wrong um, and sometimes even the wrong answers you can argue to make them right so you know I was uh, I, I left here my first job was with the state of New Jersey testing slot machines for the state of New Jersey and after two years I, I thought I would never see another slot machine and I, I wanted to be a tax lawyer and the state Lawyer, because I come from a long line of accountants, and while I was in law school, I needed to make some extra money, so I started testing slot machines for a couple states on a part-time basis in my loft of my townhouse in Marlton, New Jersey. And it was really just to, just to make some extra money, because Sharon and I had just been married before I even went to law school, and every dime counted. So that's that's how it really started. And then when I was in uh, when I graduated from law school I had several offers from law firms that said they would were willing to delay if I wanted to go off and try my business. And I went off and I tried the business and, and I never went back to them but I still remember those individuals who gave me the deferred office. So at least I had something to fall back on if it didn't work out. And then we built it one thing day at a time. I think one of the things that most people won't realize is that uh, we used to use the USA Today. Uh, It's the internet because there was no internet searches that you could see where gambling was going to occur. So we used to, every day we got the USA Today, we would read those little state blurbs in the back. And when when we saw somebody was going to have gambling, we would go jump on a plane or drive to that state and we would walk into the capital and say, I hear you're thinking about having gambling. We can help. And having a law degree, I could help them write their laws, their statutes, their tribal Indian gaming compacts, the treaties that the states and the tribes needed. And I also had the technology to tell them why it was important to test equipment before people would play it.
1: That's, that's, that's really how cool it all story. gets together. Yeah, so it all really did come together. And then, uh, and then it grew bigger than the US. It did.
2: Uh, in, in 1992, uh, I was invited to go to Australia, uh, Melbourne in fact, to, to see if we could take our concept of an independent test lab. Uh, at that time, governments were testing their own equipment but not every government wanted to keep doing the tests over and over. So, we, so I, I went to Australia and in 1993 we started a franchise down there and then 1994 we were able to go to South Africa and start discussions with the new post-apartheid government who needed someone to come in and test all of the gambling equipment and the systems the, to make sure there was no fraud or misrepresentation. And I, I got to, to work with the, the new government after apartheid was over. And, and that was really rewarding. And to this day, we have large facilities
1: not only in Pretoria, but we still have all of our facilities in Australia as well. So I know that the uh, casino here in town has had to, uh, well, it had to close for a while, and now it's at certainly uh, some level of reduced occupancy. Um, so how has COVID affected the, your business and the testing of machines?
2: Well, I think it has been probably the worst period in 30 years. We've lived through, uh, financial crises, we lived through the dot com bust, Uh, we lived through SNL crises in the early 1990s. This one took every casino in the world down for about eight to ten weeks. So literally there was no gambling, no lottery tickets, nobody was able to gamble because as you know the government shut down all the casinos and shut down convenience stores and whatnot. It's been the hardest time. We we had 1,400 uh, employees as we entered the pandemic. And we've only had to downsize by about ninety-six people so far, and we're we're working really hard to uh, our, to preserve jobs and to just be stronger and better when this pandemic is over.
1: So your your company also uh, plays a role with voting machines. If we do I understand correctly. So. Right. Uh, Can you speak a little bit to that? Yeah. So I bought a
2: company about six or seven years ago that uh, they had a very small practice of testing voting equipment. And I found that interesting because doing QA testing and compliance testing on a slot machine or gambling equipment that's at a casino, it's not that much different other than the subject material about doing QA and software testing on voting equipment. And we think it's super important that uh, the world and our government upgrades the latest technology when it comes to voting so that everybody can vote uh, and, and, and know that it's safe. And so we started out with about 15 percent market share and today we're well over probably 80 percent. And we test for all the largest states and, and, we, and we test their equipment and um, it, it's great because we do it in a very uh, nonpartisan way. Uh, we, we test – it's engineering, it's not politics, so you test the equipment you write up a test report, you send it to the Secretaries of States, and um, it's just very clean, and, but I think it's serving a great purpose, not only here in the United States, but we're, we've also tested internationally. And I, and I think we have to use technology to expand and give access to everybody
1: that they can vote. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with you. So James, I know in uh, 2019, um, you were Entrepreneur of the Year uh, in, in New Jersey so um, uh, so I, I, I'm really uh, well first do you consider yourself an entrepreneur? I, I think
2: I think I do. I, an entrepreneur is, is somebody that loves to solve problems and never wants to go to sleep at night until you've actually figured it out. So I've spent my share of nights I'm not going to sleep until I can actually figure out the problem and that's I get that from my engineering side. I think an entrepreneur is someone who walks through walls, takes no excuses and often at the end of the day has to make really hard decisions and it's pretty lonely. But you you have to execute. Uh, if you don't execute there's nothing going to be there tomorrow as a business. So um, I also believe uh, being an entrepreneur you have to be transparent to all those around you. That, you, know, you have to tell them what you're thinking, take some input but at the end of the day you just. You have to keep moving forward even if moving forward means you're going to make a mistake because the alternative is to do nothing and not move forward and that could be well worse, way worse than doing nothing at all. So I'm one of these people that I think about decisions of well if I make it and it's wrong, how bad could it really be versus I'm afraid to make any decision and I want to move forward.
1: So you're a risk taker.
2: I am. Or a a controlled risk, risk taker, <laughs> oh. measured. Um, I'm. Uh, I think we. You know this about me. Uh, I don't like taking loans. And, and 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 throughout my entire career in 33 years, we have we, taken no loans, no net debt, uh, because to me that that there's a loss of control when you have to either deal with banks or outside investors. So our company remains private today, um, and uh, I like controlled risks where I can see what the downside is. I often never think about what's the upside. I'm always thinking about how do I get out of here without making a really bad mistake.
1: That's an interesting philosophy. So you you mitigate the downside and…
2: And the upside is all pluses. It's all pluses, yes. Yes.
1: Oh, that's actually really interesting.
2: And and, you know, the other thing is a lot of people manage to get to a goal. And I often tell people you shouldn't do that because when you get to your preconceived goal, well, what do you do then? So I'd rather manage the downside risk, and then just go wherever it goes because you know that you you won't lose. It's almost like in the stock market, you 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 should. Where do people lose their investments? It's always on the down. It's it's never it's never they didn't make enough. It's they didn't know when to get off the out of you know off the table quick enough, and and they can lose too much on the downside.
1: So as you you know, approach your your work and and probably your life, what inspires you? I would say. Knowing that there are 1,400 families
2: that rely on me every single day of the week and knowing that if I don't make great decisions there's not only 14 employees but there might be 1,400 spouses, 1,400 employees, 1,400 spouses, families that rely on on the decisions that I make. So uh, recognizing that I did not do this myself. There are lots of people that have helped me along the way. And I owe them to make sure that at the end of the day, I make the right decisions so that they um, they can have a great life too.
1: So if you had to be, uh, uh, I mean, the universities, we would call them town halls. But but if you had to uh, do that with uh, your employees um, during the pandemic. Yeah.
2: So yeah, that's great. We do a town hall. We were doing them every week from March 17th. We just ended them weekly near the end of August and now we're doing them every two weeks and I get on there and I, I tell them that this is going to be just unscripted and it's very uh, real. I tell them what's going on in the parts around the United States, I tell them about how our business is doing, I'm very honest and very open, I don't sugarcoat it. Uh, I think that if you don't, aren't truthful and open and honest the minute you start not telling someone the truth when it really matters you can't start telling them the truth because then no one will believe you. And I think that's what we see uh, in our world today, where, where, where you know, people don't know what to believe uh, out of anybody that's talking about anything about the pandemic. So I, I made a commitment to my, to my team that I will tell you the good, the bad, and the ugly every week. And now we do it every two weeks. Um, so transparency is the most important
1: thing. Yeah, it sounds like a really good strategy. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with James Maidup.
0: Now's the time to join Lehigh's virtual alumni book club. Join hundreds of fellow alumni to explore discussion-worthy books throughout the year in an easy and engaging online forum. To sign up, visit gocampaign.lehigh.edu slash engage. Hi, I'm Garrett Linderman, Lehigh class of 2020, and my voice might be familiar. During my four years at Lehigh, I spoke with thousands of alumni as a caller for the Lehigh Fund. Being a Lehigh liner taught me how important the fund is to supporting the Lehigh experience, especially the financial aid that I depended on. Now that I'm on my way to law school, I am more than ever aware of the value of my degree and the impact alumni can have through the Lehigh Fund. Please visit give.lu slash go-getter to make your gift today. Thank you.
1: Now we're back with James Maida on today's episode of Go-Getters. You were the one who introduced me to how to fly around the world on United in a cost-effective way. So, uh, um, so do you miss travel? Yeah. So the the round-the-world ticket, I think I
2: told you how (laughs) to do that, John. Yeah, (laughs) you did. (laughs) Uh, um, I do miss travel. I would say my my wife doesn't miss that I travel. Uh, Although the last several years, Shannon and I have been able to mix a lot of going to see clients and going to see some great places. We were in Bavaria last year at a conference in Munich and we were able to take a few days. But um, we travel a lot in the recent years. But I do think that face-to-face meeting with government officials and, and people that are of consequence in the gaming industry um, over the past, you know, not having to be able to do that in the last six months, Zoom is not a good replacement for that. And so I do miss the travel. I don't miss the long hours on the plane. although. Now that we have Wi-Fi on planes, I used to get caught up on my email on the plane. So I think that was always a good thing as well. But uh, I know there'll be time to travel when this is all over.
1: We just don't know when. Yeah, I, I miss I miss some of the travel too. It, it I mean, someone who was in San Francisco every month, it's weird that I haven't been there in you know, over half a year now with, all that we're doing out there. And I think, John, I think the face-to-face meetings, whether it's meeting people in San
2: Francisco as as a Lehigh president or what I do, I think that meeting people face-to-face you lose so much of that over a video conference. Yeah, and, I, and that's I, why I chose to come here today rather than try to do this on the
1: phone or however we were thinking about doing. Yeah, this. I, I appreciate you coming into the office today, and I'll assure our listeners that we are socially distant. We are. We are ten feet <laughs> apart. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, so I, I want to uh, uh, shift gears a little bit. Um, I, I mean, we've, we've known each other a number of years now, and. And I go to uh, a lot of events on this campus and been, you know, reflecting, pandemic causes you to reflect. I've been reflecting on, uh, on those events that I thought were very special. And one of the events that I enjoyed the most was the topping off and beam signing of the Maida House and watching you and Sharon and your daughters si- sign the theme, and, and just uh, uh, I, I would say the four of you were a perfect happy family on that day. So I'm really interested in in in, in your you know, your thoughts about um, what that that day meant to you. And we're extremely appreciative that you that you made the gift to bring the residence hall in, into existence. And just like to get some of your thinking about that. You know, I don't think that day is a culmination because I, I think I have a
2: lot more days left to serve here at Lehigh. But, but I thought that that day, how well the university staff and uh, Brent Stringfellow did, uh, d- talk, you know, walked us through the building and showed us how, what it was going to be. I, I think it, it represents the new. It represents uh, new dorms. It's, it's it's about the path to prominence but it's it's representing Lehigh coming in to 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 the to the, to, our, to a new age with more modern housing and 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 doing all those things that John you promised when you when you came in as president for me it was just great to have the two girls there uh, I met my wife here I got married at Packer Chapel to Sharon here uh, uh, the uh, Lauren graduated in 2017, Alexis in 2019, and I, and I thought to myself, um, we're just continuing the, the May the Lehigh tradition. Uh, my parents met here. My father is class of 57, still alive today, and, and, uh, and, and mom went to downtown school of nursing and grew up here in the Lehigh Valley. So uh, it just felt to me that that day was, was really just another special homecoming for, for, for our family.
1: That's great. So James, since, I, uh, since I've since i met you, both you and Sharon have been actively involved uh, at Lehigh and I know most recently Sharon joined the Dean's Advisory Committee for the College of Education. Um, so can you talk a little bit about maybe, uh, you know, Sharon's passion for Lehigh? And and I, I'm sure she caught it from you,
2: so. Right. Well, I think she's also very passionate about the Lehigh Valley. She grew up here in Catastrophe, Pennsylvania and um, she, went locally to school and then got her master's degree at Boston College and she's a doctorate of education from Rutgers. Uh, and her lifelong passion has been around teaching students that are blind and visually impaired, picking them up when they start crawling and walking. And She wrote a book on how to get blind children crawling to walking because most people don't realize that. Most children see how to walk because they can look around the room and see other people walking but when you're blind you have no reference that you're actually supposed to be walking not crawling. Um, So she studied that and that was her dissertation Um, and then she spent a lifetime of her, her career starting with children when they were six months old and working with them all the way orientating and giving them mobility lessons until they were out of college. So she has had several students, 8, 10, 15 different students that have gone that whole gamut. Um, so here at Lehigh, uh, she uh, also very passionate about education. Uh, the education, uh, our graduate education program here is second to none. We, we rank unbelievably high. We have a great uh, uh, curriculum around autism and special education and all of those things and, and 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 the Dean of course also went the Rutgers so I think that Sharon has some uh, 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 familiarity there. Uh, so she's on the Dean Advisory Council and she really likes to give back in that way because not only it's giving back to the Lehigh family uh, but it's also giving back in her passion of education and and um, I think the School of Education is one of our uh, a uh, uh, best-kept secret sometimes because I think when most people in Lehigh Valley, most people in Pennsylvania and their surrounding states don't realize how great that school is ranked and, and and all the great work we do not only there but with students here in South Bethlehem at Bronco Middle School and all these other places that we we really work hard to take our students off the t- mountain top and down into the city here in Bethlehem and really work with them and I think that really attracted her to being able to help out
1: you know you've, you've jogged my memory so the the first event that I went to at Lehigh was the scholarship dinner right after I had been appointed as president and John, ended, by the way
2: my favorite event is the scholarship yeah, dinner it, because it you actually, get to actually story, see great connections it's
1: amazing uh, and we sat together okay. so uh, this is when I actually first met you and and I was asking you I remember your answer which okay. is why I bring it up here it's like uh, uh, I asked you to tell me what's special about Lehigh students and and you said something very much like they get a great education but they know how to go to work. Right. Yeah, Lehigh
2: student you don't need to train because here at Lehigh we actually don't teach how to solve the problem of the day or a problem. We teach students how to solve any problem that they might r- run into. We teach problem solving. We don't teach a specific curriculum of problem solving. So when you hire a Lehigh student, and I have, um, you don't have to spoon feed them and tell them okay do step one, step two, step three and they come back to me. They're just – you're going to give them a problem and they're going to come back and solve it in an unexpected way that's probably way better than what you thought it was supposed to be. And, and what do you get? You get your learning, they learn through doing. And uh, I think hiring a Lehigh student is amongst the best value that anybody can do.
1: I agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you, you ready for rapid fire? Are you right or left handed?
2: I am right handed. Sharon's left handed. Oh. That's why we're so good together. Uh,
1: are you an engineer or a Mountain Hawk? I'm an engineer. Boy, you to be careful when you're walking around them. Okay. Uh, what's your favorite place on campus? Uh, Besides, made a house. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I would say, I would
2: say the UC. Do you have
1: a personal motto?
2: Yes. Uh, My personal motto is everything matters. So many of my kids will say to me, that doesn't matter. Oh, Dad, that doesn't matter. I tell them, everything you do matters.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, boy, I think both of us have learned that at our jobs. That's exactly right. We have learned that. Everything matters. Everything matters. Uh, What's the last TV show you watched?
2: I think CNN uh, <laughs> this morning. <laughs> uh, your favorite spectator sport? Um, hockey, because it never stops. There's no timeouts. Oh, okay. You go 20 so minutes straight actions. up in that uh,
1: constant action. Yeah. Um, what's something you'd like new that you'd like to learn how to do?
2: I'd like to learn how to speak Spanish. Mm-hmm. or another foreign language because too many of us go through life only knowing one language and we
1: just assume everybody's going to speak English. Yeah. Well, that's a good one. Um, what's the hardest thing for you about COVID?
2: The hardest thing about COVID is seeing so many people on Main Street America suffer while the stock market's at an all-time high and people get confused. They think the stock market is a proxy for... How things are doing, and I, I worry every day that many families and many parents and many children are going to just miss out or on things, or have, have many, many years of, of not being back to where they were before COVID hits. We should all be worried about how this affects the middle class and, and, and those less fortunate. Um, you cannot look at everything through the Wall Street lens. that would, I think is a huge mistake.
1: Well James, I really want to thank you for joining us today on on Go Getters. Thanks for having me, John. Appreciate it.
3: My name is Lauren Maida, Class of Twenty Seventeen. I'm Alexis Maida, Lehigh Class of Twenty Nineteen, and this has been Go Getters, a podcast from Lehigh University, hosted by President John Simon. Special thanks to guest James Maida founder, president, and CEO of Gaming Laboratories International, member of the Lehigh University Board of Trustees, and our dad. It is so meaningful to share the Lehigh tradition that my dad continued, now with three generations of Mountain Hawks in our family. Our dad is a great role model and example of how to pay it forward by continuing to give back to the university that has given us all so much. We could not be more proud to continue that legacy. Additional thanks to sound engineer James Plotkin, co producers Aaron Firestone and Janet Norwood, and the Lehigh University Office of Development and Alumni Relations. Go inside the podcast at lehighedu gogetters to learn more about James Meta. Don't forget to subscribe to Go Getters on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or your podcast app of choice. And take a moment to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts so other listeners can find us.